Welcome to the Jammin' With Podcast, hosted by Olympic athlete Fran Hassel and the folks over at Jam Staffing, the leading recruiter of tech staff in the Austin area. Each episode, we sit down with some of the most ambitious and interesting people to work in the tech scene to discuss their life, career, and their views on what is happening in the world of technology. So, let's see who we're jamming with today. Hi everyone, it's Jam Staffing's resident Olympian Fran Hansel here, giving you your weekly insight into Austin's tech scene. This week we have the pleasure of jamming with Raymond Gonzalez, the founder of Gardinio, a company that strives to empower people to grow their own food. I'm really looking forward to hearing more about his journey from philosophy scholar to UX designer to founder of a tech company whose mission is to get you off your screen and back outdoors connecting with the earth. Apologies for the sound quality of this episode. It might be a bit scratchy in places, but Roman's story is too interesting not to share. So please enjoy. Roman, thanks so much for joining me today. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk. Um, no, no worries. So I think a good place to start the talk would be at the beginning. Like, so you went to Brown, studied philosophy. How did that end up you getting into UX design and into the tech world? Yeah, uh, I, I really love that question because even now still you know, user experience design, uh, I mean, or rather philosophy is kind of the underpinning of everything about Gardenio and how we approach it and how we approach those problems and think about it. Um, I think at that time, I, and still, I was, I, was, I was really interested in high school years and in college years in like the big questions of like, how do, you know, how do we find meaning in life? What, you know, why, do, how do we, should we spend our time at all? What's right and wrong? And, and, uh, and I was really interested in the issues that affected everybody, kind of like the existential issues, right? And so I, I, I wanted to go and study um, philosophy and Brown University had a really good program, um, particularly around like early 20th century existentialist philosophers and, and, and sort of previous existentialist philosophers from there. So I was like, okay, cool, let's go study there. And um, a lot of what I learned in philosophy was that it is very much the process of like taking ideas and breaking them down and structuring and, and arguing. And um, I found that that skill particularly, the, you kind of have to have two skills that really analytical and that other kind of like creative kind of wily weird person stuff. and. Um, and so years later, so initially I wanted to, uh, yeah, I'll start here. Initially I wanted to make films and, and uh, cause I, I was like, I'll be a professor, but then I got burned out. So I was like, I'll make films and express these ideas. And that started a marketing and media production career. Um, and uh, then I transitioned over to user experience design because I was like, hey, here's this field to where you get to do, you know, you get to really uh, understand the, the flow of a person through a product or a service what are the unique steps, right? Um, what are they feeling at each stage, right? What's the story that they're hearing? So all of a sudden you have this, you have this narrativity that I really enjoyed from storytelling. You have this like high, uh, high rigor structuralism um, that I was, that I really loved in philosophy. And in fact, there's a whole, there's a whole field of philosophy called phenomenology that's concerned with how do we break down the human experience into its parts and structures. There's even a book about it called Design with Dasein. And, uh, and so then you have this creative part where you get to talk to people and you get to ask them about their emotions and their feelings and why they feel the way they do and how, their ideas about the world, their mental models. So I was like, oh man, this is actually, and then there's even one more layer where you, you're creating design systems. So and it's anytime you're creating a brand, you're sort of saying, what are my foundational principles that kind of create this universe of design, this experience? And I was like, this, this field is incredible between like 
branding and user experience design and product design, it all kind of came together and really still, you know, uh, it founded in that in that basis of, uh, of philosophy and all the things that it teaches you. And um, so, yeah, I still very much operate it, operate with it, even with things we do with Gardenia today. Amazing. So who is your favorite philosopher then? Who like, when you're studying, who, <laughs> like, yeah, I like that concept, that works for me. <laughs> Sorry, that was totally left field question. Yeah. That's actually really interesting. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, I love it. Um, so, I mean, at the time I was really interested, yeah, I, I don't need, I'm not even hundred percent sure who I would say today, but I'll tell you kind of where I'm at on that question. Um, that um, at the time I was really interested in early 20th century French philosophers uh, like Jean-Paul Sartre or Algerian um, uh, Albert Camus. Um, and then Nietzsche was interesting to me, but very problematic. And so like all these people who not only explored the everyday and like really meditated on it and, um, and thought, interestingly about it, but they did it in a way that was fun and uh, engaging. And, uh, and that was really important to me that philosophy not just be dry and difficult to understand. Um, yeah. And, and half, the, half the time you feel like they, they're actually not trying to be understood, they're just trying to sound smart. And, um, but that it be engaging and relatable to everybody. So that's what I was into at the time. Also, because they had this idea of radical freedom, right, that you could, you know, um, you could make the meaning in your life, you could create it. And, uh, and that was very appealing to me at the time. And I still like it in a very romantic sense. Um, but over time, I guess I got a little bit more like nihilistic and, um, and like you study postmodern philosophy and kind of destroys a lot of your concepts. Um, but now I'm, I'm particularly big on uh, notions of social justice and the political world, which is funnily enough where a lot of philosophers there ended up getting to. Um, but uh, really interested in um, political philosophy and uh, you know uh, radical uh, political philosophy, some leftist things, you know, uh, like queer liberation and black liberation, and like those those people. Um, now I'm trying to pay more attention to. I'm still in my early days of learning about a lot of that stuff. But it's really I, I look less to like these classic old you know old white guys that it's yeah. like oh these are the smartest people in the world and be like who did who did we miss and who whose voices are we currently missing. Um, in, in the cultural dialogue around startups, around social justice, around the, the things that we're all still dealing with and how to find meaning in an ever more anxiety inducing world. So, so sorry, I know I went a little bit off there, but I, I appreciate No, it. I like that. No, that's really good. Cause I think the more influences you get from different environments, different people, different opinions creates a better concept. Yeah. Anyway, like anything that you go into any business you yeah, go into yeah. the more people you can surround yourself that have different ideas to you not the same as you is only going to help you grow and you're going to help the business grow and develop and blossom into something something incredible so I just it's really interesting to me that philosophy is your background and you're still actually really into it really interested in it but it now makes more sense to me as to why UX and how it fits into yeah. the philosophy background so where did when did you realize that you wanted to you're obviously an entrepreneur to start with like, when, when you set up your own production company and you do media bits. But was that when you decided, yeah, I always want to be an entrepreneur. This is the path I want to go down. Or were you undecided whether more of a already big corporate company that might work too? Like, what was your feel on it? Yeah. Um, so recently I've been giving kind of more talks about my mindset on this. And it's like, I, so I never liked having a boss. Um, and, I, and I never liked being told what to do. Um, I think that, uh, yeah, growing, it, growing up, in, uh, it sounds silly, but all the way from when I was like in like fourth grade, just like early, I was like nine years old or something like that. Um, I was like 
a student council vice president. And, and, and from then on, I was leading things or I was building things um, until, you know, until after college. And I, um, you know, if I didn't enter an organization and lead it in like a year or two, I was building it from scratch. And I didn't think of what I was doing as entrepreneurial. I just really, I had a lot of ideas and I wanted to see them in the world. And um, um, I, I had a lot of ideas. I wanted to see them in the world. And I, uh, so I just went out and did them. I organized people. I, you know, put together the structures and, and that's what was really exciting to me. And so um, when I got to college, I, uh, I started like four different independent study classes. One of them was actually on the science and philosophy of love, which is really interesting. Um, but, uh, but then there was, um, you know, there were classes I, read on, I, I put together on songwriting. I led four or five different clubs. I worked four or five different jobs. I just liked building things. And so it felt like it wasn't an if, but a when. And it wasn't until after college when I got to, I, I moved to Austin, I'm originally, Austin, Texas, I'm originally uh, from South Texas, um, that I was part of this program called Three Day Startup. And um, it's over three days on the weekends, you build a startup with, with a couple of people. Or, and um, that was really my first introduction to a lot of tech and the idea of like just building this yourself. Um, and so uh, over the years, I just started to have different ideas, but I, I, didn't, I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to start a company or that felt different than when you're just enlisting volunteers and when you're just building, when you're just seeing like a small thing, like a student organization, right? Um, and so I think I probably listened to too many naysayers for too long. Um, I think that a lot of folks uh, in Austin at the time just didn't really believe in young people in the way that I knew that I, that I believed in myself. And so it took me a while um, of meeting new friends, of getting rid of old ones, of, of meeting people who are really inspiring and confidence inducing. Um, and so what, what I did, I wrote just like, I had like 10 different business ideas. Um, and just so you know how scattered I was, I also had 10 different screenplay ideas, just in case we went that way too. And, and over what I would do is like over the years, I would just, new ideas would pop up and I'd, I would fold them into one of my existing startup or screenplay ideas. And I would, um, and whichever ones kind of stuck around and still had me excited, I, I just kind of, I kind of winnowed down and winnowed down and winnowed down. And so, you know, through my marketing career and consulting and then my design career, um, I also spent time as a community organizer um, for a Democratic, the presidential Democratic campaign in 2012. Mm -hmm. I worked, yeah, I did. Um, and that was, that was really impactful. Um, I did customer That must have been really eye-opening. That, that like, list, like, work yeah. out of it must have been really eye-opening and completely different and understanding of yeah. what's actually going on in the world must have been massive. What did you learn from that? Like literally, what was the learnings? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm glad you asked because they were big. Um, I mean, for me, it was, you, you know, Brown is a pretty like liberal institution. And um, I, I think when I went there, I was like, oh, everybody kind of sees things a similar way. Like the world is like fine. We all have the right, you know, you know <laughs> we watch the right <laughs> movies and have the right ideas about the world. And, um, and but then getting out of that, it, it wasn't clear how bad some things like voter suppression were. Um, except I worked in Ohio. Um, this is voter suppression in Ohio. How about the outward racism was? How about the, um, the, the bigotry toward LGBTQIA people, like trucks going around with you know, signs on them with you know, hateful language? Um, and then we had to go door to door talking to, to families who all were like, hey, this is, you know, I get you have an election, but this, this, this system has never served me, right? And so it just became very clear. Um, how how dejected so many people were and um and so i think it was really sobering and and you know at the time when you're working for a political campaign 
it's, uh, you know, you really feel like at the time it's like good versus evil. Um, and, and so you just, you're working for something much bigger than just making somebody money. Um, at least you feel that way at the time. Um, and so, so yeah, I, I think that that really raised the bar for me in terms of, um, the, the amount of purpose I want to have in my work. Um, and then it also really sets the groundwork for like, Hey, you're out there morning, day and night, knocking doors, registering voters, you're building communities from nothing. And so that entire experience of just grassroots organizing, I, I think I already had a, like a lot of the ingredients necessary to, to be effective at that. But that really is like, there's nothing I won't do now to like, <laughs> to, to help, um, you know, build the movement we're trying to build with Ardenia, whether it's knocking doors, starting from nothing, like it's, it's very humbling. And I think that was important for me. Yeah, it gives you the, I suppose it gives you the grounding, doesn't it? To take yeah. on a yeah. challenge and do anything that you want to do because you've kind of, lived and breathed something like that which is incredible so yeah, yeah, thank you a conscious choice like to move to and be a part of the scene like what do you love about being here yeah you know I um I at the time again was thinking about like oh I want I want a career in film or media uh and I was like well I can I can do New York I can do LA um and uh and of course some other scenes as well um, but I was like, those are so big and so competitive. And what if I went to a, a smaller scene and like tried to make some waves and, and, and then, you know, then go to like LA and make it or something like that. And uh, so I was like, I'll go to Austin. Also, Austin had an amazing food scene and up and coming uh, stand up scene and up and coming tech scene. It just felt like a place I could go and didn't have to make a decision immediately. And, and, and the city kind of traps people that way sometimes. Um, and and so, and I thought of, I thought I had, you know, friends and network there. Um, and so I went there and was like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll get a day job. I'll figure some stuff out. I'll write screenplays. Um, and when I came to Austin, like, I think I opened the screenplay program maybe like two or three times. Um, getting a job initially was not uh, as easy and breezy as I thought it would be for getting a fancy degree. Um, spent a year applying to over 300 jobs. I was sleeping on the futon in a kitchen of my friend's place. Like it was, <laughs> it wow. was yeah and uh <laughs> and so again all that really really humbling and uh but yeah i i have grown to to really love um austin and met the right people in the right scenes of people trying to do big things and um and yeah i also get to still make friends uh you know all across the world and country doing what i'm doing and, and i'm excited about that too i assume part of the embracing the scene and making new friends and having good influence around you uh did the divink program help with that the accelerator course because I know that you took part in that and I just that sounds like a brilliant thing to be around other people that want to do the same as yeah. you to share ideas creatively is that what you got from it or was it more a, a, a basic structure of how to grow this business that from this like idea that I've got yeah, well, one, I just love how well researched you are on all the things I've done, and and two, you're asking all the things that I want to talk about. So thank you so much. Um, but uh, but yeah, Divink was probably the most important program of my entrepreneurial career, um, okay. because I I was this person who you know I had product design background, I had marketing background. A lot of the people that came to the program didn't have that kind of background, um, and I I knew how to build products in tech and. Um, and so it wasn't, for me, it wasn't as much all the programming, there were, there, though there were things like finance and legal, et cetera, um, that were very beneficial to me. But 
it really gave me like the the kick I I had been spending like seven months in my you know in my room you know designing screens getting nowhere, and um, what Divink did is it very very quickly introduced um, all of us to a lot of the major players in the startup scene um, in Austin, and it's a very small scene, um, at, like at the end of the day. And um, so it introduces and helps start those relationships. A lot of those are still friends today. Some of them turned into investors. Um, and then it gave us the camaraderie of being able to work with other founders who um, are similar stages, some a little earlier, some a little later. And um, when it's all women and people of color, these populations that have been historically underserved um, and underrepresented and underestimated um, in startup uh, and in startup funding, there's this sense that you're all in a, there's this unique thread um, that you're all in uh, together. And so you're able, we, I still participate in a Divink Alumni CEO forum um, where we meet once a month. We talk about numbers, we talk about what we're facing um, and you know what's going well and what's not and, and helping each other out. And it's still the tightest knit group um, that, that I have as a founder. That's so good. So would you say those guys that you met through that are, a big influence on what you're doing now and how you do it and are they kind of I suppose on the same level but role models in a way or do you have other role models that you've drawn on throughout your time setting up your own business? Yeah I'm really glad you frame it that way it's, it's similar to um, to the philosophy thing where it's I think maybe in the beginning I was like oh man like Steve Jobs and Elon Musk or something. and you have like these people that everybody looks up to, but it's just, um, I, I've talked to a lot of people about this. I actually don't want to be a Steve Jobs or an Elon Musk or something like that. Like there's nothing, nothing interesting about that to me anymore. It's I want to be my own kind of founder and, um, and serve the people that I, that I want to serve. And so it really has gone from this like idolatry, which I think a lot of people start off with. And I think that's fine to really the people that are motivating me and inspiring me and pushing me forward and that I really am looking to and I feel like I'm working for are those founders that are around me um, doing the work every day, you know, running into challenge after challenge, but we're helping each other out, we're there for each other. And, and earnestly, those are some of the biggest inspirations. Um, I will say that we've also had the benefit over the past uh, several months, particularly um, to start connecting with some of, uh, because we're kind of in the direct to consumer space and consumer tech space, Connecting with some of the biggest names out there, um, with some of our informal advisors are, you know, the founder of Matt My Fitness or um, the uh, the founder and uh, not the founder, the president and CEO of Stitch Fix, um, the former VP of Global Media, Twitter is an investor, the founder of Literati, talked to the founders of Magic Spoon, Casper, um, Imperfect Produce, and and been able to learn from these amazing companies early on, and um, so so being able to to, to learn from them has been incredible and is pushing us forward and I'm sure we'll push us forward um, in the months and years to come. Yeah, love that. Literally love it. And so on to Gardenio, like where did this idea come from? Because obviously it's kind of a juxtaposition really, isn't it? It's a tech that mm -hmm. takes you away from tech. <laughs> and I love that. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm probably one of the people to talk to people in your space from being a sports person my whole career was my face was in the water blowing bubbles so like that was my world and I think it's really yeah it's really interesting for me like where did this idea come from have you always been interested in growing producing and like my my partner's a farming background over in the UK oh, nice. so he was a pig farmer so yeah so I've got like a real interest in farming and I basically live with uh, my house in the UK has got fields of like corn behind it and all like oh, wow. the um, 
Yeah, all the cows like go and graze on it. It's like really free range. It's incredible. So yeah. have you always had a passion for produce and growing food? Yeah, oh man, now I just want to turn this interview around and ask you so many questions <laughs> about that. I'm super curious about that. Um, but uh, but yeah, I. it's funny because I didn't really, like I didn't grow up growing food. Um, I didn't grow up on a farm or anything like that. I don't wear a lot of plaid or trucker hats or anything. It's just, it's not my story, right? Like that's not who I am. And, um, and in fact, it's a little bit the opposite. Growing up, even though my mom was a personal trainer, um, my dad would talk about how he'd like come home and he'd pour a can of ravioli for himself and split a can of ravioli between me and my brother. And, you know, I, I didn't know a salad was anything but for lettuce with tomato and ranch uh until I, I went to college you know and um it, it was in when later ooh, am i coming across okay by the way it says my internet is a little weird it's a little crackly occasionally but for the most part okay okay well let me know if uh let me know yeah i'll let you know something. yeah um um, but yeah, so I, you know, that was my experience with food growing up. And so when I graduated college um, and I started wanting to cook more and just kind of reconnect to food, get, uh, get a little healthier, um, started eating a lot of spaghetti squash and cauliflower rice and stuff like that. And I still do. And, uh, and so I got interested in it and I'm somebody who, uh, it's difficult for me to just have a hobby. I get like really intense about it. And uh, so I was like, oh, well, like, how do you make good food? Well, you need good ingredients. Well, how do you get good ingredients? Well, you grow them. And, uh, and so at the same time, I started running around my neighborhood and you could like smell the jasmine plants. And then you would see, you know, uh, you would see a grapefruit tree or like all these lemon and lime trees. And, and, uh, and the, you just start to notice those things more. And I was literally seeing things that I hadn't seen before, right? Like the world took a different shape. And I had a different relationship to it, right? It was like the world was bountiful now. And, uh, and I thought that was really incredible. And um, I also really wanted to get into growing food because I'm a naturally a little bit of an impatient person. Um, and, and I thought that it would be very humbling having been in a bunch of humbling circumstances before <laughs> um, to really work at the pace of, uh, of nature um, rather than at this sort of artificial sort of rat race pace. And um, so I was like, okay, well, that's, that, that's interesting, right? But um, I was like, maybe I'll do that when I retire or something. Because a lot of the marketing that you see around it is like older folks and straw hats and flowery shirts. And, and when, I just, yeah, like, when you retire, you get into gardening. <laughs> yeah. yeah, when you retire, right, you just right. and, get into it, don't you? <laughs> yeah, they just, they, they, you take off your vest, they give you a trowel and, you're, and you go. Um, and and so I, I was like, I'll just put it off. But one day a friend took me to a plant sale up in North Austin and, uh, and again, very low chill. And so I got 13 different plants um, and I brought them all home. And a month later they were all dead. And, uh, and some people were like, oh, well you must've learned so much. I was like, I learned nothing. I have no idea what happened, right? And, and I'm a designer at the time. I was early in my design career. And I, I was really interested in, in, in onboarding, right? Just like I was with philosophy. How do you take a difficult thing, make it easy to understand for a newcomer, right? Um, yeah. And uh, so I was like, this is an onboarding problem. So there's kind of two design problems here. How do you get started and how are you successful? And one of the other things that I saw success in as a designer was this idea of service, uh, service design. So not just how do you get through a digital product, but if you have an offline experience, a service experience, what are the steps of that? And how do you make them work together? 
And I was like, gardening is in, inherently, you know, people are going to Google, like they're, they're leveraging tech in some way, um, and it's offline. And, and that's where, you know, the idea came. It was like, what if I could use tech to get people away from tech? Because, um, I mean, we know, we know all of the benefits of it, but we also know the ways that it can be very damaging, um, just emotionally. And, uh, and so I was like, oh, man, this would be a really great application of it. Um, and then helping people grow food has these additional benefits of, I mean, there's the mental and physical benefits, right? There's the social and communal benefits. There's the environmental benefits if you're doing it the right way. And it starts to sound like you're just, you know, like a, like a car salesman and it's like, oh, and it delivers a pizza. But it's like, there's, uh, you know, growing food is such a fundamental part of what it means to be a human being and of our experience. And so it really can do all of these things. Like, I'm not even mentioning like the entire field of, uh, you know, plant medicine and, you know, that's continually emerging and that we look to the past for. And um, so I was like, man, if we can really solve this problem, we can do something really, really big. And remember, I was a philosophy major. So like, I want to work at like the most fundamental level. And, and so that's where Gardenio came. We, we said, the, our thesis was like, hey, um, we want to build a new kind of garden club membership, um, social, right? Um, the way we've been doing it for thousands of years. And we're going to send people everything they need every season to grow their own food at home on a balcony or a patio, small spaces where people wouldn't think they could normally grow, um, just to get them started and, uh, and have an, uh, an app and a community within that app to help them as they grow. So it's not like, hey, there's a sensor in your plant. It's another gadget. You, you, know, you talk to Alexa or something to like, get it going. Um, it's we want to be the tech not between you and the plant, but behind you, sort of saying like, hey, um, you know, it's going to rain this weekend. Um, so you may actually want to put your plants out because rainwater is better for X, Y, Z reasons. Or, hey, it's going to freeze next week. Bring your plants inside, but oh, leave your kale outside. Right? So all of these things that normally you would just have to read through tomes of, uh, of books for just search endlessly on Google or just know or text a friend, you know, it, it's not that we don't know how to grow food, we do, right? Um, it's just the information is tribal, fragmented and inconsistent. So if we can bring that together, serve it to people when they need it and connect them to other people to be like, hey, you know, even though we were gonna have the best data out there um, to say like, hey, you know, Tim or Sally or whatever, uh, you know, this is going on with my mint. I know now, cause I'm on Gardenio, that all these people in town are growing mint. Have you experienced the same thing, right? And so you're able to learn from them, codify that, um, and make it better over time. And we think that there's a tremendous power in that. It also creates a community around it as well, then, that people can share how they're going about it, what their tips and tricks are to be able to grow produce well, as well as actually being able to grow the produce. Yeah, I mean, so we're, we're early in those days, admittedly, but um, that's very much where, we, where we're heading in terms of like, I just think that a lot of the things on the market that popped up in the last four to five years are these things that are like um, garden appliances, right? They're big plastic things, and a lot of times they're uh, hydroponic or aquaponic, and I think that's fine. I think there's a place for those, um, but I think that, and I think food production will more and more go that way um, in mass, but I think that for the home gardener, that misses the point of why they grow, right? So much of it is deeply emotional and deeply social. And uh, it's not just to create as many tomatoes as possible to feed the world. It's the activity itself of gardening um, that is special and worthwhile and that we're indexing on. Um, and, and so by bringing people together around that and all, you know, already across the country, across the world, gardeners are some of the most you know, outspoken, uh, helpful, you know, kind people. There's uh, our plant provider, one of the things he says is the only two thing, uh, the only thing two gardeners agree on is that the third person is doing it wrong. And 
so you, you, you have this vibrant community that's in Google groups, Facebook groups kind of fragmented. So again, how do we bring that together to codify that and help everybody grow more? So absolutely. So from your initial thesis and the philosophy behind it, what was, what did the journey look like to taking it live? Did you personally have to go and understand everything to do with plants growing? Were you like researching agriculture? Like what was the process between from concept to absolute kickoff? Yeah, I mean, well, there's like a million things going on at any given time and you're just sort of trying to catch as much <laughs> as you can on the way. Um, but I mean, certainly parts of it were that, you know, I knew how to build tech products and design tech products. Um, we, we needed a, a team, we needed a team to actually code it. Um, and uh, we brought in a technical co-founder who does that and much, much more, um, Chelsea Shaw, and she's been incredible. Um, so a big part of it was building the team, right? Um, then another big part of it was validating that this is something that people even want. Um, me, which is something a lot of people don't do at the beginning of starting a business. They just say like, I have an idea uh, and uh, I need money for it. And more often than not, you don't need money first, you need a market. And so you might need to go out and talk to potential customers, understand what their real problems are, um, have the tools to be able to get good data there and, and then you know, continually learn from them. So then there's market validation. Um, one thing I didn't know was operations, right? I did, somehow didn't even think about it. At first we were just a strict tech play um, but it was clear that if you just have a support system, but you don't send them the right stuff, or you send them the right stuff, but you don't have a support system, it's an incomplete picture. Um, and uh, we saw a lot of value in being able to go across the entire experience. But I had to learn what size box does this need to fit in? How do you structure a box, right? We've developed a, a custom way of shipping plants so that they're, um, they're, they're safe as they, as they ship, because uh, we send live plants. Um, and so what containers are we going to use? How do you, uh, how do you organize your supply chain and forecast and all of these things? I had no idea, but you just kind of jump in and learn it. Um, I didn't understand things about, uh, about finance and creating balance sheets and cash flow statements. And so I took some online courses that were free and, and, and talked to really smart people. And, you know, I think one of the things that I'm most proud and self-assured of is that I, I have a good way of learning if I don't know something. I can figure it out by talking to smart people, doing a little research, and then just digging in and doing it. And so we had to do a lot of that and worked with a bunch of people over time too, who were doing that same thing, had over 75 people donate their time or, um, or, or their services uh, to, to help us, majority women, majority people of color. And, and that's another thing I'm, I'm really proud of. Well, so for you, obviously you brought on all these people that helped to support you build. And what does a great team look like for you? What, what was the thing behind it that made it into what it is, really? You mean with the, with the team specifically? Yeah, with the team, yeah. Yeah, if you had those many people that donated their time and their experience to help you, what was like the common thing that brought it all together that made everybody like, yeah, that's what we want to do, that's what we're doing, and we've done a really good and good job? Yeah, uh, again, I love that question. Uh, I, I think... It was, it was a bunch of things. I think a lot of people were really attracted to working with us um, because I, I like, me and my co-founder are pretty outspoken about building a diverse team from the ground up. And, um, and we make a very like active effort towards that and uh, make sure that when people, no matter what background they're from, uh, just categorically, when they come to Gardenia, they feel not only uh, accepted, but empowered and you know, they feel powerful. And, and I think that's different than just saying like, hey, you're in the room, so we're done. It's like, you know, how do you, how do we throw you responsibility, um, challenge you and, and help you grow? Nearly everybody who's come on has had some, in some way that they've wanted to grow. Um, 
it was just the pun unintended actually there um but like <laughs> in their career or you know maybe they wanted management experience um maybe they hadn't built a certain kind of um tech product before and we gave them the space to play and um and we were kind and we treated them well and uh and we made sure that it was fun like a big part for me is like i think you have to have a sense of even though we're dealing with things that i think have underlying very serious elements to them um at the end of the day like growing your own food is fun and basil smells awesome and plant puns are fun and so like this is a hard journey and we need to be able to 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 laugh and make jokes and be gentle with each other especially since you know a lot of folks um i mean most folks i mean they're donating their time right and so there's no need to like you know lash a whip or anything like that we're just here to have a good time and if and, and, and move forward personally and professionally. And um, I think that that's been a really big part of what's been successful. And I think we've, we've also been pretty, despite the fact so many people have helped, um, the people we're attracting are people that very much believe in uh, not just what we're doing. Um, and it, it, growing food connects to so, so many people. Um, but the World Public Benefit Corporation, right? With our public benefits for sustainability, public health and food justice um, and, that, and how we're trying to build it. And it's amazing um, that, that there's so few resources, so few options out there for so many people to not only feel empowered and feel connected and see a different kind of leadership on top, but also have fun with it. Yeah. And, and so I, I just really, it, it's, it's really, it's unfortunate that there's so few options that um, because we have just those couple of things that we can attract so many people who wanna, who wanna work for us and, and really make something big and purposeful happen because we're not just a profit only company we really do care about the the ramifications of what we're doing and 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 yeah so i i, I think when you speak to the people who worked with us that that's been a, an important part of what's brought us taken us all forward yeah i think having a good team with a sole purpose and there's everybody wants to learn something and you empower people to learn things and to like grow with you no pun intended is is like yeah. the best way to also lead a team but as you said like it's not yeah. it's not a path that goes direct up to everything going well is it and everything's rosy all along the way so how and i suppose being an entrepreneur as well it's quite it can be quite lonely at times i turn into other people who do you go to like who do you speak to in the moments where it's been really tough and you've had to make decisions or do different things. How have you got through them? What do you think about what's your philosophy behind it, I suppose? Yeah, no, there's definitely a lot of tough days. Um, just, I mean, over the whole time we've been working on this, I mean, whether it's somebody on the team not working out and having a tough conversation or, uh, you know, you really thought that fundraising meeting went well and they, and they said no and, and they weren't clear why or something. And um, um, I'm lucky to have, uh, I have a really great partner um, who is very supportive and also very ambitious and driven. And we're able to kind of, um, even though she's she's not a startup founder herself, she works with startup founders and can really understand and relate to a lot of the things that I'm um, that, that can go wrong and go well. Um, and so I think that that's been pretty key for me. Um, I also, normally I would I would recommend uh, therapy for, for any, uh, any founder. I think that that is like an incredible part of, and, and you know, I had, 10 years of therapy before this and some, so still practicing um, those things I learned there. Um, and then also staying connected to friends, right? Like you think you need a broad network of people to be able to turn to. And a lot of those folks in Zoom um, are people I turn to uh, when I don't feel understood or I have questions. And um, in the good part of being a startup founder, and I, I'm particularly out there in the world and talking to people and, and making friends is that um, 
my network has broadened to be able to reach out to people who maybe I wouldn't have even thought that I could reach out to before just to be like, Hey man, like I'm having a rough day. I'm really blocked on this. Um, like we just had a conversation yesterday with, with the founder about my fitness and um, where I was kind of like, yeah, I'm candidly, I'm blocked on this. Like, I don't know what to do. And um, being able to be that vulnerable uh, with, with some of those people, and you can't be that way with all people, um, but finding those friends um, is, is really special and understanding like, Hey, when I, when I feel like this, I have a system for getting out of this. Um, and cause it's very easy to just rest in the doldrums. But if you sort of say like, Hey, I recognize this feeling. I felt this way three months ago. What did I do to get out of it? Okay. Now let's, you know, employ the strategy of like, okay, I'm going to talk to friends. I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to, you know, <laughs> I'm going to do yoga or something. And, uh, and really having that formula for yourself. Um, I think that's been good for me. I haven't always followed it, but it's been good when I have. So as a, like an entrepreneur, somebody who's come up with such an amazing idea and, what would you say is important in terms of the mindset behind it for other entrepreneurs, other people that are looking to start their own business? What, because as you said, having a bit of structure and knowing to be vulnerable to the people that you can be vulnerable to helps massively. But what, what do you think is a great piece of advice to anybody that's looking to start in terms of, not in terms of like a practical skill, but in terms of what it is mentally that, you need to develop or be able to do to get through because it's not it's not an easy journey is it so what would you say that is yeah, yeah i think uh i definitely think the work on being kind to oneself is probably some of the best work anybody can do for their personal or professional life um and being understanding and forgiving and saying like hey i was supposed to get this application in today and i was just beat i couldn't do it and saying, and it's okay to say like, just like breathe and say, it's okay. There will be more applications. Or, um, you know, this, this interaction with a team member didn't go well and I made a mistake. Let's take a breath, let's have a conversation and just do the right thing moving forward. Um, I'm very forward looking. I don't, uh, I, I never look backward um, anymore. And because there's so much going on, you kind of can't afford to, um, but, and I, and I think that that mindset has pros and cons, but I think that uh, one of the pros is that I'm just constantly thinking if a thing goes bad, I don't even register the, the negative emotion. I'm just like, okay, cool. What do we do now? Yeah. And um, so I th that, that mindset has been helpful for me, but I think even more than that, um, I think the mindset that like, there is no failure in startup, there is only learning. Um, and it's, 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 it's a, it's a kind of delusional mindset you have to get into, but, um, you know, you, you only are ever getting better and learning more. And, uh, and, and, and I think that that can help one overcome a fear of like, oh, what if I have a bad meeting? Right. It's like, oh, that's fine. Now, hopefully, you know, we learned a thing. Let's think about what we learned and move forward from there. But, um, it's that persistence and, um, acceptance really. Um, but I don't think... I mean, people talk a lot about persistence, but I don't think they talk about um, acceptance and, and kindness to oneself. And um, there's a lot of this sort of like, you know, called hustle porn, right? It's just like, oh, man, you just every day, you know, you know, morning to night, I sleep two hours and I love it. And, um, and I hate that stuff. And, but I, I think it's really making sure you're taking care of yourself. You should always feel a little bit uncomfortable um, and take some time to kind of recalibrate and, and refine that comfort. Um, but, but otherwise, all that stuff is show that you see and um, you know, you, you, you do your best and you challenge yourself and you be humble and ask for help. Um, but definitely make sure that it's not something that's qualitatively just really ruining your life in a fundamental way, because nothing, um, almost nothing is worth that.
think that's really powerful. I think take a breath is massive. Like yeah. your instant reaction is to react emotionally to everything, isn't it? And once you can just step back, take a breath, everything becomes a bit clearer. You start thinking about things a bit more logically. And the fear of failure is something that I've been talking about, thinking about quite a lot, especially at the moment with the times that we're in, like uncertainties everywhere. And it's kind of like controlling what you can control and defining success in your own way, isn't it? Like, okay, today maybe we didn't get the funding that we wanted from this person, but we went in, we did a great job presenting and like taking the successes and taking the wins. And then you kind of redefining it all. I think that's a great message. And on that note, I would love to leave it there because I think that's incredible. And thank you so much for joining me. It's been like, uh, yeah, I just love everything that you do. And I love the philosophy behind it. I love that you kind of come from that background and you're building it through Gardenia and what you're doing today. So thank you for taking your time to chat. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. And at, at some point, like I said, I'm gonna have to reverse this and we're gonna have to talk to you and learn all about you and your background and your farm. But, uh, but thanks so much for taking the time uh, to, to ask more about Gardenia. I appreciate it. Thanks, Roman. Jammin' With is a podcast in association with Jam Staffing. Please rate and subscribe to the channel to hear more from the people shaping the Austin tech scene. And don't forget to tell your friends about the podcast. Remember that if you're looking for work or need to hire great people, you can reach out to us at jam-staffing.com.